Acts chapter 26, and I want to just, if I can please tonight, continue on part two of a message I share with you this morning, a little bit about Paul coming to Agrippa. Agrippa is the king, he's Jewish. He is uh, living with his sister. They share the same father, Bernice, and she's not a good lady. She has a bad record. She'll later be the wife of a fellow named Titus, who is a Roman ruler. He's living in sinful living. He is sharing right now the courtroom with a guy named Festus. Festus is a Roman Roman, uh, appendage, if you would please, from Caesar. But he has no interest in the gospel. He has no interest in the Apostle Paul. He is there, and he's got himself in a local problem, a legal problem, and he's got himself in a, uh, a logical problem. He has, he has pushed this little prisoner, Paul, to a place that he pushed him into a corner and said, you know what, I'm thinking about sending you back to Jerusalem. Not understanding that Paul was going to call his bluff, if you will, and said, you know what, I'll just appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, I have that right. If you're not going to give me a fair shake, then I'll appeal to Caesar. And after conferring with his attorney, he said, you don't have a choice, man. He's a Roman citizen. He appealed to Caesar. You better figure out a good reason why you're going to send him there. And he said, if you appeal to Caesar, that's where you're going to go. And, uh, but he gets a visit from Agrippa. Agrippa is the king, and he's Jewish, and he really is there to kind of keep peace, looks like, in, in Jerusalem and among the Jews. He's one of them. And uh, yet an extension also of the Roman Empire. So uh, he and Bernice come into town, and, and he tells them, I got this guy that, uh, that uh, he's appealed to Caesar. I don't even know what to tell him. I don't know what to tell Caesar. And I don't want him to get on top of me because I, I, didn't send, I sent him there to waste his time. And Agrippa had heard about him. He had heard about Christianity. And he said, I'd love to hear from him. And he said, we'll do it. We'll make it big. And on the next day, they had a big pomp and circumstance, and they had a lot of the, uh, uh, the, of course, Agrippa was there, and Festus was there, and Bernice was there, and then they invited those who were overseeing a thousand soldiers and some of the city leaders of Caesarea and some some, uh, elites in the area, and they gathered together to hear a defense of this Paul. And Paul comes into the courtroom, and he's brought in there probably in bonds, he says he was in bond, so it, later in the thing, he said, I, I wish that you guys were all like me, saved and forgiven by God, except for these bonds. So he possibly was in chains when he came in to the, uh, the prison and to, uh, to the courtroom. But uh, he comes in, and then Agrippa, who has now been given the floor, says, I, I'm going to give you a chance to say something. And he says a lot in chapter 26. It's a great chapter of God's Word. A lot of things we can learn from here, and but he's going to be divide his, little, his, his, his uh, statement in three different sections. Number one, he's going to speak about his Jewish countrymen. And thou, they knew about him, and he was raised with them, and he knew them. He was a Pharisee. He's going to speak about his countrymen. Then he's going to speak about his conversion. That's where we are tonight. And later he's going to talk about his cause, which was pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ and getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. I just said this morning, just by way of review, that everybody has a story. And I love what Brother Jeff said today. People will love to hear a story. You need to think of a story that you can tell. Usually when I give the gospel to people, I don't usually, I used to just come up to someone and say, do you know for sure if you die today, you go to heaven. But oftentimes nowadays, I have the opportunity. I say, you know, several years ago, someone asked me, John, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? I didn't know. 
But that hard question became one of the best days of my life. Because now I know. Someone loved me enough and took the Bible and showed me. How about you? Do you know for sure? People like to hear a story. Well, I'm telling you, Paul was a master at telling his story. We find it recorded first time in Acts chapter 9, the second time in Acts 22, and then this time in Acts chapter 26. It's kind of interesting. If you only had one book to give mankind like God did with the Bible, it's interesting he would repeat that same story three times in one of the books. But I think it's because he shared his story hundreds of times. I'll bet when Timothy started him telling me, he could probably quote it with his mouth. He's like, oh, here's what's going to say next. I imagine probably the guys who travel with him, Luke and other people, probably said, Aristarchus or Archippus. So watch this. He's going to tell the story. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah, yeah. there he goes. There he goes. It's going to happen. I could just imagine uh, them saying, oh, here, here he's going to go. I could tell it better than he can tell it. I've heard it so many times. Sounds like one of Brother Abdel's messages. Isn't it saying like that there? <laughs> I think I could tell a story on the cow. Man, I'm not kidding you with you. I, I've heard that about five times. I think I know. It's a great story, though. That's right. <laughs> Keep telling it, Brother Abdel. It's how you remember stuff. You tell stuff, you know. If you want to remember a joke, tell a joke. You can remember it there. I can't remember a single joke. I need to tell more jokes there. But nonetheless, we find that he told his story. By the way, you have a story. If you're saved, you got a story. Everybody gets saved, gets saved the same way. They ask Jesus Christ to forgive their sin and save them. That's the only way you get saved. But you have a different story, and sharing your story is an important part. A great lesson tonight on a slogan and a story and an icebreaker. Great, great thoughts to help us get the gospel to people and find out their curiosity. Well, here the, the Apostle Paul is there, and he's told about his upbringing. He's told about how that uh, he was one of them, and he gets them. He understood because he was on the other side of the fence one time. He wanted to do anything that was contrary to Jesus. And now he comes to his conversion. Let's look at it, if we can, please, beginning at verse number 12. Whereupon, matter of fact, in verse 11, the end part, it says, I persecuted them unto strange cities. He said, I, I killed people. I had them arrested. I had them fired from their job. I had them kick their mothers out on the street and tell them, you can't let your mother-in-law, she got saved, she got baptized, you can't let her live with you and contaminate your kids and put them out. There was all kinds of mayhem. The Bible term for Saul in the church was he, he caused havoc. I mean, he was such a, and he was dogged. He was a fair-haired child of the Sanhedrin. And he was doing all their dirty work and glad to do it. Now he's on his way to Damascus with letters in hand from the chief priest to go into the synagogues and ask questions. Is there a Christian here? There's somebody in here that's talking about a resurrected Jew named Jesus. Let me know who they are. What's their names? He's got paper in hand and he's going and he's finding his way to Damascus. That's where he gets stopped at, at noonday or midday of that day. Look, if you would please, at verse 12 again. Whereupon... As I went to Damascus with authority of the commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw the way of the light from heaven, from the, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And of course, if you know the story of Saul, you could have told me everything I just now said, just about. We remember this story. 
Here he is. He's passionate. He's got papers in hand. He's got an entourage of people with him to go do his dirty work. He's got the, uh, the, probably the temple police with him, and they're making their way to forcibly uh, cause some problems in Damascus with some Christians they heard there. And then all of a sudden, a great light shone from heaven. And the, the Bible tells us in chapter 9 in the story, and then also in chapter 22, that everybody saw the light. Uh, everybody heard noise, but Paul heard the voice of the Lord Jesus. By the way, sometimes in a sermon... In a gathering, when God's speaking, people hear the noise, but they don't hear the message. Saul got it loud and clear. Jesus spoke to him directly. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I love this. He said, well, who are you? He couldn't see him. He heard the voice. He asked him who he was. And then he says, if this is Jesus, is it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Are you tired a pushing back against my convicting power. By the way, there are people within your sphere of influence who are getting tired of it. And they may be the ardent, most cruel, uh, ugly criminal or people that are so antagonistic toward the things of God, but they're ready. I've been watching some friends of mine. I love to see someone get saved the first time that I meet them. I love that. It's a blessing. But oftentimes, some of the most uh, treasured uh, friends that I have have been people that God's, he hasn't given me the first time I met him. It's been people I've seen to work on, and they're hard heads. I'll never forget one man that I, I led to the Lord, and he, was, he turned me off so bad. And it's like, look, I'll, I'll call you. You don't call me. The phone's not ringing. You know it's me. <laughs> so I'm not interested in talking to you about that. One day I remember seeing him go out and he was getting things out of his car in the back of his trunk. And the Lord impressed me to go talk to him. I went up and I saw him. I said, hey, bud, I know you told me not to bother you with that. But would you just give me 20 minutes to just share with you from the Bible how you could be saved? I was shocked. He slammed his trunk and he says, you know what? I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I'm sick of all the noise I'm hearing in my head and all around this world. You got something different to say? I said, I do. He said, all right, what time? And I met him. We sat together, went through the gospel. That guy began to weep as he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. I would have never thought he would get saved. But you know, God is working. This is not Paul's greatest soul-winning testimony. He witnessed to Felix. Guess what Felix did? Tremble, but sent him away. Agrippa, as far as we know, he said, almost thou persuades me to be a Christian. Festus said, you're a nut. You're a stinking nut. Much learning hath made thee. You're loco. You're loco. You're, you're crazy. This wasn't, this wasn't probably, he didn't want to say, everybody, this is not the one you come back from, from Fisherman Club or from Soul when you mean and say, hey, well, the Lord really, really blessed it. This one wasn't a good one. But it was something God used. And by the way, every time you witness to someone, it's a good one. Every time you get the gospel out, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And here, this story that he gave them set up the opportunity to share the gospel. And by the way, your story can set up the gospel for you to tell the story of, of the gospel. Let's continue if we can, please. And he said, uh, when he found out who Jesus was, verse 16, the Bible says, But arise and stand on thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee 
for this purpose, and to make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which thou hast seen and those things which, uh, which I will appear unto thee. Verse number 17, read it with me. Delivering thee from the people and from unto. Of course, you know, and Paul knew, and Ananias confirmed it whenever he came and anointed him and gave him vision again after three days and he got baptized. What he understood very, very quickly is that his life was not going to be a walk in the park. You know, sometimes we don't serve God because we're fearful. But God gave Paul the understanding that this was going to be a difficult life for you. He said, you're going to be a minister of the gospel. You're going to be serving. That word minister means like, to- like rowing a boat underneath the boat. You don't get to go to the deck. You're going to be on there rowing underneath. You're going to be a minister. You're going to be a messenger. You're going to be witnessing the things I'm going to tell you to say. And then lastly, he he was reminded he was going to be a mediator. He was going to stand between God and kings, between God and princes, between God and Nero, between God and Agrippa, between God and Gentiles, between God and the Jews. He 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 would be a mediator with his life. And by the way, that's what you're going to be. If you'll let God use you, you're going to stand between the living and the dead. That person on the other side of the gas pump, that person on the other side of the counter, that that waitress that waits on you, that person that you work with in 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 the cubicle next to you, those people, you're a mediator, you're a messenger, you're a minister. When the Apostle Paul was criticized in 2 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians, I think, is not 2 Corinthians, but he said, look, if you're upset with me and you got something to say about me, and you have a judgment against me, and everybody has an opinion about what I'm doing. You're probably wondering why I get in jail all the time. He said, I don't even know. He said, if you're going to evaluate me, evaluate me on these two characters. Am I a minister, and am I, am I, am I, am I a witness? He says, am I a servant, and am I a soul winner? And he says, if you, can, if you want to judge me, judge me in those two categories. And, of course, that was what he knew from the very beginning. He was going to be a minister. He's going to serve. It wasn't to be served. It was to serve. By the way, it'd be a good idea if we all put on our servant's hat. It'd be a good idea if we took off our bib and put on our apron. So many folks, I just want to get fed. I just want to get help. I just want to go to church. I hope it's a good one tonight because I just need to get help. Let me tell you something about about that. You You need to be a serving. People that stop serving start getting very critical, very opinionated. There's nothing wrong with having opinions. I got opinions and you should have them. But oftentimes we verbalize opinions when we're not doing anything. It's very easy to be an armchair quarterback. Get mad and say, I I can't throw the ball. Well, you couldn't throw a ball for for the last 20 years. What are you you saying? Certainly can't throw it from your recliner. Well, we we got all these opinions and criticize. I don't appreciate this. I don't like that. I wish they'd do this different. I'm just kind of sick of this. All this stuff. You know, it comes from people who are not busy in the work of the Lord. And I'm not here to criticize anybody. I don't even know anybody who's criticizing. But I just know as I study human beings and I study the work of the Lord, it seems like the people that sometimes yell the loudest are people who are doing the least to get the gospel to somebody. They might be good at typing a letter or turning a wrench or doing some little thing in the ministry that needs to be done. It's helpful, but they're not getting the gospel. Soul winners get the gospel out, and they don't, they, they're usually less, they're more content than the rest of us. 
he was getting the gospel out, and he, and he tells, to, tells to the Akin group, he goes, this is what happened to me. Let's continue our story if we can, please. Then he says, I'm a, I'm a minister, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a messenger, I'm a mediator between. He says, and God told me he was going to deliver me from all people. Wasn't it kind of a blessing too, and I, I'll go back to 18 in a second, but it's kind of a blessing that the child of God doing the will of God is indispensable, and, and, and they're, they're indestructible. They're, they're not going to go down until God lets them go down. Now, I don't, I don't think Paul, I don't know, I know that he didn't want a beating again. We see that through his story. One of the things, when he, when he rolled into, into Corinth, he didn't speak for a long time until it was that his friend Titus and Silas, Timothy and Silas came. Then he, went, he witnessed. And that night as he went down into that, uh, that, that bedroom, the Bible says the Lord appeared to him and said, Saul, or Paul, don't be afraid. You know why he told him not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. And here's what he's afraid of. Someone's going to hurt him again. He said, no one's going to hurt you in this city. He stayed there a year and a half, and no one laid a finger on him. There was a little bit of challenge against him. It got thwarted so fast, taken away from him. But I do think that Paul knew that, that he was safe. He, he had two things He had two things that were going on, and I shared it with you last week. Number one, he knew that his road would not be easy. He was made for that. Number two, he knew he was going to Rome. He already had the confidence from God, you're not going to die in this courtroom. You're not going to die in Jerusalem. You're going to go witness at Rome. As you've been to Jerusalem, you're going to go. So he had that confidence. And I think he had the confidence inside of him that whatever he had to go through, God was going to help him through it. And you know, friends, you can have that same confidence. Whatever you're going through, you're made for this. God's given you what you need to do. And then number two, he reminded him that you would go to Rome. And you're not going to Rome, maybe, but you are going to heaven if you're saved. We can know that we're not going to go to heaven. No one, some people die young, no one dies early. You might say, oh, that kid died so early. No, he didn't. He might have died young, but not early. Everybody goes to heaven on the time frame that God lets them go. And if you're a child of God, you can, you can run to that a little bit more kamikaze than somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Verse 18, he gives his cause. We see that he met the person of Jesus it gave him a purpose, and that was to be a witness and a minister. He had the protection, verse 17, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan and to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, which is in me. I want you to just know two things. Number one, the Lord sees. He sees you and he saves us. You know, he sees about mankind that they're spiritually blinded. The person you're trying to witness to, I was thinking today, I was praying for several people that I know that need to be saved, and I believe God's going to save them. But right now, they're spiritually blinded, and they're satanically bound. Spiritually blinded, satanically, they're enslaved. They're bound by Satan. This verse 18 kind of tells what Paul said, "Here's here's what I'm up against. Here's what I'm doing. I want to turn people from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the forgiveness that is in Jesus. And it tells us in this passage of Scripture several things that Jesus does for us. Number one, that Jesus forget, he, he, he gives us freedom. He saves us by giving us freedom. How many remember being enslaved to sin? 
Boy, it's a, it's a terrible thing. But I'm glad that, that if, you know the, if you know the Lord, if you know the Son, you can be made free indeed. And freedom can come. He gives us freedom. Number two, he gives us forgiveness. It's what soul winners do. You're helping people who are in, in satanic bondage to have freedom. I have a friend that's in this room right now, and I have been with him at numerous times in very difficult circumstances because of addiction. But it's a blessing to know him. It's a blessing to see that God gives freedom. And every time I saw freedom being given to my friend, it was the Lord. He won't take any credit. I sure couldn't take credit. There were things that helped him with the Reformers Unanimous. There were things that helped him in our church. There were some people that loved him and helped him. But every time that uh, freedom was granted to my friend and to any of us, it's because of the Lord. Number two, he said, I want them to have forgiveness. Go back to verse 18, and let's, let's, let's read it out loud together as we conclude our message tonight, would you please? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. Several things that happen when you get saved. And when you tell folks the gospel, here's what happens. Number one, freedom. Number two, forgiveness. Number three, an inheritance. I think that speaks of fulfillment. Um, got Brother Anish here this, this evening. Anish, would you mind just standing real quick while you... Anish... Just started a Sunday school class today for Indian men and ladies in our community. And uh, did you have three or four of you in today? How many did you have there? How many? Three. Three there today. And today's his first day. And, of course, he's been a, he's been a sponge learning all kinds of things. But when he walked in that door in, uh, in June of 2018, 17, which day? Which? 18. When he walked through that door, he was... He was blinded. He would tell you that. Like, I, I, can't, I couldn't understand. I didn't know what I needed. He was enslaved. But I think right now that Anish has got a lot of fulfillment. He's got freedom. He's got forgiveness. He's got fulfillment. But you know another thing you get when you get saved? You get a fellowship. You get a fellowship. That's a beautiful thing. In this passage of Scripture, you can be seated, Anish. One of the things I love about being saved is my brothers and sisters in Christ. You get an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith, which is in Jesus. I tell you what, I, I love being saved. I love having freedom. I love having forgiveness of sins. I love having fulfillment. And realizing what I'm doing is just not for this life. It's for, I enjoy the offering. Linda and I sat this morning and we wrote out our offering and and. and we, we gave what, we, what, we, what uh, we owed the Lord in our tithes. We put in our missions giving. We took some for the auditorium trust fund. And then we said, what can we give to the Lord beyond our tithe? It's kind of fun for me. Because there's a fulfillment that comes in that situation. I see that God, uh, it can use me. It can use Linda to, to, to do something. When we get to see somebody saved, when you get to teach a Sunday class, when you work on the bus route, when you serve the Lord, there's a fulfillment that comes with that. You might remember when Jesus came back from, from uh, working with a woman at the well, and they brought all the food back to him. They said, hey, here's some food. He goes, you know what? I, I've got meat that you know not of. He goes, I've got a fulfillment that I don't think you're familiar with. He, should, he said, did someone give him something to eat? No. He said, my meat, what fills me up is to do the will of him who sent me, to finish his work. 
Salvation, when you get saved and when you help someone else get saved, is not only a freedom and forgiveness. It's a fulfillment, but it's a fellowship among the brethren. By the way, be a good fellow. You know, a fellowship is two fellows in a ship. (laughs) Two fellows in a ship going the same way. Be a good partner. Don't criticize one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, this ought to be the most loving place anyone could come. I hear lots of compliments from time to time when I come to this church. And I had a guy two weeks ago said this. I can't believe that this church this big is so friendly. (laughs) I can't believe it. I I was intimidated. Had a sweet girl. She said, I've driven by this church a hundred times. Because I was always scared to come inside. I said, I can't believe how much love is in this room. That's a wonderful testimony. He said, there's a fellowship that comes. And then lastly, I love this, and that is there's a focus that needs to take place. And the focus is on the person and faith in Jesus Christ. Keeping faith is a focus, and I say this so many times it's almost embarrassing to repeat it. But someone said you should never be afraid to repeat the obvious. It's the obvious which many of us have forgotten. But the most important thing about us is what what, uh, comes to our mind when we think about God and our faith in the Lord. And what binds us together is faith. The Bible tells I want you to to stand for the faith. He said, I want you you to keep the faith. I don't want you to swerve away from the faith. He said, that's what keeps us focused. If you look at the next verse, you'll see that verse 19. The Bible says, whereupon, O Grippa... I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What was showed me, I did it. 21 or 20 says, but I showed, but showed first unto them of Damascus. And then at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea. I want you to notice that. What's that third word in verse 20? First. By the way, let me just tell you, if you're a missionary in here or you want to do something great for God, you know where you need to start? Wherever you are. And Paul happened to end up in Damascus when he got his sight back. And the first thing he did is went across the street to the guy across the street in that area right there. He went first there. And we're whistling the wind if we think we're going to win someone to Christ over there when we're not winning people to Christ right here. So I went first to the place I was, and that's Damascus. Then I went over to Jerusalem. Then I went to Judea. Then I went back to Tarshish. He begins to tell Grippa more of his story. We'll look at this another time. But I want to encourage you to be a soul winner. And if you're saved, why don't you rejoice in the fact that you have freedom and forgiveness, fulfillment and a fellowship and a focus to continue to focus on the person of Jesus Christ and be faithful to get the gospel out. Let's pray.